0: Welcome back to the Homeschool Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Bex Buzzy, Dr. Deanna Wested. She is a teacher turned homeschool mama. After 21 years in education and earning a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from the University of South Carolina, she left that world to focus on her own two boys education. She believed that her twice exceptional boys deserved to be exactly what they were. Exceptional. She found that homeschooling provided her the opportunity to scaffold and build her boys' abilities while also shining a light on their strengths. In this episode, we talk about how a child receives a higher quality education, is personalized for their needs, and attends more carefully to what they need to work on through homeschooling. Dr. Deanna's focus is to empower parents to know that they can be their child's teacher. And we also discussed Dr. Deanna's area of expertise with twice exceptional students, which means is a child that has an overlapping diagnosis or markers of a learning disability and giftedness. Too many of our brightest children just do not fit within the classroom box, and too many are defined by what is seen as deficits, which in reality, Our students with ADHD, autism, and so many more bring strengths that can be and should be a gift to our world. Go grab your coffee, go grab your tea, and a pen and paper, because you're not going to want to miss what Dr. Deanna has
1: to say. Let's get into the podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Deanna Wested. Dr. Deanna, say hello to our guests and tell us what is something you think most people don't know about homeschooling?
2: So thank you so much. My name is Dr. Deanna Westett. I am so glad to be here to just share the potential and hope that different models of education and and homeschooling can provide for our children. And, you know, when I think about What are things that many, many do not realize about homeschooling? I feel like they just don't know all of those methods and the variety of methods that are available out there. There is the classical method. There is the unschooling method. And then, I mean, there's just so many. Uh, We could probably do a whole session just on that. But, um, you know, like personally, we are eclectic homeschoolers. I have one boy that elected to return to an in-person setting uh, high school for high school. And um, my older son, he said, no, I really love what we're doing in our homeschooling. And we do an eclectic program. So we do some school at home classes that meet his core um, classes because he has a personal goal of going into architecture, so we look at what is he going to need in order to meet that goal, and there are certain classes he has to have um, transcripts for so he can go to he to college. Um, in his case, and so we just look at his goals, then we bring in all of these different elements. Some are just you know family values, life skills, uh, things that are important to him. He loves to do go karting, outdoor go-karting. And so sometimes that's his PE. Uh, Skiing has been his PE. So there's so many options for him to explore what he loves instead of having to fit into a, a box, so to speak. And that's our method. We blend, like I said, the school at home classes. We do twice a week when his work is, you know, he's on track. Then we'll have unschooling days. We have some classical elements that I bring in um, to help support skills that I think are very foundational. And so that's, there's just such a range. And that, that's the message I want to get out to parents, that they can tailor fit it for their child. And if they're looking at different family dynamics, there's, you know, like a smorgasbord of opportunities that you can use to really make it work for your family.
1: Wow, you have so much understanding in in this area. It's
2: amazing. What was your doctorate in? So my my doctorate was in curriculum and instruction. I did my doctorate through the University of South Carolina, and so through that program, it's you know we do a dissertation process, you know process and uh, research. And so my research in my area of expertise specialty is actually in the area of twice exceptional learners. And, and that can really cover such a broad spectrum of, of student, uh, broad spectrum of children. And so when we look at the twice exceptional, we're looking at children that have two or more. Sometimes we have what we consider thrice exceptional, quad exceptional, where they have Uh, two to four overlapping characteristics that, such as a learning disability overlapping with uh, identified giftedness or gifted markers. And the way that those overlap is very unique. Uh, A lot of times, these are the children that do not fit within that classroom box. There's some very special dynamics there. And, but when I did my dissertation, I was looking at how can we address that within the classroom. And I still advocate for that because I do believe there's there's multiple schooling methods. However, particularly my older son, it became very clear. And I was introduced to this term, desperation homeschooling, which is kind of how we fell into it. We just like this uh, online type of thing is just not going to work for us. And so what do we got to do as a family? And then getting a couple months into it and saying, wow, I wish I would have done this sooner because the change was so dramatic. I really believe, and (laughs) here I go, I'm very passionate about this, but um, when we're with any child, but when we're speaking about the twice exceptional student, we need to start at their lowest point of success. And then from that, Once we have built their confidence, we scaffold and we build upon that success. Success breeds success. And so when I introduce the term scaffolding, I talk about, you know, I explain, if you picture a building under construction and they put the scaffolding around to help uh, stabilize it, right? And it kind of almost like a ladder structure, right? And so, but the foundation is so critical when we're building a building and foundationally success is incredibly important to any child's connection to learning Uh, that with the twice exceptional child, it's just completely that much more complex. And so for us with my older son, what that allowed us to do was to find his, the, the point of success, whatever that is. And I tell families, when I work with families, I tell families, Whatever their point of success is, if it is working independently for two minutes or if it is doing, uh, you know, depending on your method of homeschooling, but just the lowest point of success, it's great. And the next time, maybe you'll, you know, once you get confident with that, you're going to increase if your goal is to have them work more independently. Okay, we're going to increase it by two minutes. We're going to increase it by five minutes until you're at whatever the developmentally appropriate Uh, ranges but certainly we can't uh, achieve the top until we climbed those rungs and when we have children that are struggling we need somebody to come alongside them and help them connect those dots and those dots in this example are those rungs they need somebody to come alongside them and help them um, step up those rungs but first and foremost must come a feeling of success
1: Wow, you know, twice exceptional.
2: So this it's
1: it's interesting because I've never heard of it before. And then this batch of interviews I've been recording, this is like the second time I'm like, I've it's been brought up it's twice exceptional. I've never heard of thrice or quad, but that's really interesting. You know, when it comes down to twice exceptional, there's probably a lot of students that fall under that because of. I guess this brand new information under this brand new understanding Mm -hmm. of what it actually means to be gifted. And I think a lot of times people thought of giftedness in just like academia, like, you know, Mm -hmm. reading or math, you know, but there's giftedness in so many different areas. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's so many areas that can have a bit of a challenge. So, I, I love the fact that you're you working on that. That's that's fantastic. So, is that the focus of your program? Like, is that the focus of what you do, or is that
2: part of it? That is part of it. And you just like, you know, when I think of like, kind of springboarding off of what you you said and talking about just the the umbrella of that, you know, it, it's exactly true. Giftedness doesn't always present the way that we we would expect it to societally. And uh, like, it just doesn't fit within that classroom box. And, and before I jump into, cause I, I, I wanna go into your next question, but you know, I worked with students in, in within my research population that presented, you know, if you weren't looking deeper, what you would notice first was the challenge. And in this case, um, you know, showing markers of of dysgraphia. Um, this is a student that I would probably maybe in a, a year following because he wasn't quite old enough, but refer him for testing for that. So he's showing showing markers of dysgraphia, yet his ability to absorb high academic vocabulary and discuss uh, text at such a high level, I had to address that within the classroom. That's something that we can do with students when they're in a homeschool setting, just quite naturally. Personally, for me, I was twice exceptional, but I got, you know, kind of missed. You know, I was reading very at a very high level, so in some ways, I looked like that classical case. But I went for three years without being able to complete my work from second to from fir- no second to uh, fourth grade. I missed pretty much every single recess. And I, I can tell you the thought processes that I had at the time, and I would think, because I was very quiet, I wasn't getting into trouble, I wasn't disrupting other students. The tasks, if I look back, the tasks were so overwhelming for me, my brain, the way my brain is wired, that I would take brain breaks. I wasn't thinking of them as brain breaks, but they were. I was making patterns out of the numbers and creating stories for the picture on the things that were kind of like a preferred activity for my brain. Okay. And then we're going to dive back in. And so I'd look at all the the children ready to go to recess. And I'd be like, okay, but like, aren't they doing that too? How are they getting their work done? It just, it seems so obvious to us as adults and, and even to the typically wired brain. Right. Yeah. I remember distinctly that thinking in my brain, wondering what are the other kids getting that I don't. And nobody helping me to connect those dots. So, and of course, you know, I think, well, obviously, and I advocate, like I said, for, you know, children within the classroom too, but in the homeschool setting, when we have children that are struggling getting their work done or struggling with a concept, you know, helping them to connect those dots, what is hard about it for them? But going into your other question about, you know, just kind of the range, so I work with families in in, in a range of things, uh, writing coaching. You know, I I work with students that may have some of these challenges that don't, don't fit within a normal curriculum structure. And I give parents strategies to work with their children in the home setting. Additionally, I work with a range of families that even if there's not an overlapping you know, character uh, category, but they just want some strategies for like phonemic awareness in the household. How do I do this with my child in a way that works in a home setting with my one or two kids? How do I do that in a fun, engaging way? And so I give strategies. I coach parents. I do webinars. I did a webinar series for a homeschool program. Uh, Recently, I conducted uh, academic diagnostic testing for a learning pod so i do that and i look at the the whole holistic picture of the child as as well observationally and of course with the data and so that that is the scope kind of the scope of my services but definitely you know i have parents come to me who they've been str- you know who have been struggling with just having their child understood whether it's in in a classroom or homeschool setting and they're trying to figure out how to address this and I give them strategies. This was also fascinating.
1: Like I was just sitting here like, whoa, because <laughs> I, I feel like I found myself personally within what you were saying. I'm like, wait, I struggled through those things, too. You know, so that's really interesting. I feel like there's probably so many people mm-hmm. out there who are just, you know, kind of going through the motions in a sense not realizing that you know yeah i'm gifted here and i struggle here and that is kind of like that kind of like does kind of mess with your your brain in a way if you really think about it. it's like but i'm so good here why doesn't this work And it's like working that out and even with parents trying to figure out like well how do i help them they do great here and then this over here just doesn't seem to to match and i think a lot of people don't realize that the brain just doesn't develop all at the same time exactly um, yeah and it's like you just gotta take some time like for me my mom had me reading when i was very young like i was able to start reading at two years old right so it's a pretty young age reading but as i got older i was able to read a lot of times my comprehension didn't wasn't there though i could read a lot but ask me did i understand Did i comprehend what i just finished reading that was a completely different thing. For some reason, when you said my brain feels overwhelmed, I remember I would be taking spelling tests and the teacher would be doing and everyone's like on task. I'm like, how is everybody doing this? Like, I need a second, you know, and I would just be really overwhelmed. So it's really interesting that you're saying that because it kind of goes that. Much. A lot of times I'm always like, well, how did everybody just get that? Like, that doesn't seem like exactly I didn't get it and I'm like I need I need to hear like five more times like what <laughs>
2: so- and this is this is this is what children you know are thinking I think you know as adults we start to we compensate we come up with strategies um, but what I tell parents is because a lot of times by the time uh you know they come to me they they find me through their searches you know they're very discouraged and the the point of it is we can work on the child's challenges while still honoring their strengths. And in fact, it's incredibly important to honor their strengths in order to be able to cycle back and work on those challenges because um, children that are constantly, and and, and I, I love, I have a big passion for differentiated learning. And in my research, those who are in education, they'll recognize this term, but uh, Webb's depth of knowledge where we're talking about you know, like the 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 lower taxonomy, it's just being able to repeat the knowledge. But that the highest level, we're creating and uh, the application at the very highest level. But when I looked at students that had these overlapping qualities, the goal is really for depth of knowledge equity. We want children, all children, no matter what uh, characteristics they bring. With their their brain wiring or whatever to be able to access the learning at the highest level for them, and that's really you know the beautiful thing about homeschooling when we homeschool and and I tell parents you don't have to go homeschooling alone, and I think that's another when we talk about misconceptions or fears when it comes and and for some that's a very critical part of homeschooling they do believe that it needs to be between the parent and the child. And that that is respectable, but if if you're in a, a situation where that seems not possible, but you can offer, um, and in fact, in the state of California, there are a couple of different options, and they can be actually, if you if you look into it, you you can see that you can have a a, a teacher come in, you can have like a file a PSA. Um, which is, you know, you become basically your private school. And so, you know, the parent is overseeing the education. If you need to work with other parents and and team strengths, if you need to tag team because of uh, work situations, and I'm very careful with that because I think, you know, we never want to set ourselves up and say, oh, you need to do it all. You need to do what's best for your family and the dynamics of, of your family. And you know, I think when we look at, at parent, sometimes parents feel intimidated if their child has a learning disability because they they feel that they're not going to be able to address that. And my answer to that is, in the in any area where you don't know, and I, and and here's the thing: I worked in education for 22 years. There were so many things that I did not uh, fully understand until i was in the role of a parent Mm. and if i i and i thought and there was some pretty painful experiences because my children you know they were in they were in an in-person uh in-person setting when they were younger and there were there were some painful experiences that caught me very off guard and i thought if this is so hard for me to navigate then this must be exceptionally hard Um, if you don't have that background, I was raised in it. You know, my mom was an administrator and she was absolutely an advocate for children who are struggling because she had been a child who was, I mean, her, her, my grandparents were told not to bother to send her to college because it would be a waste of their time and money. And they made a pact with each other. We're not going to tell her she wants to be a teacher and we're going to support her dream. And they never told her until she already had her admin credential she became an award-winning principal wrote grants that that uh funded after-school program for children in need i mean that all of that could have been lost right if we if only her challenges had been uh focused on and if somebody hadn't come along if my grandparents had believed the counselor and not their child you know and so she had such a heart for children who were struggling she had at-risk um at the time we, we, the, the um, category was at risk, but she did dropout prevention. This was just her passion. And so I was steeped in this. This is how I grew up in summers and going to tutor children that were struggling with reading. This is how I was, was raised. And so I think that also feeds into it, but it's also my personal experience, right? Because I thought if, if I know and I've experienced so much on the inside and it's still so hard for me. And so at times, to be honest, and this isn't knocking any school system. The system is system systemically what it is. And it's very, very hard. Uh it's not because there's not good people in it. And it's not because it's people true. don't want the best for children. Um, there's things that have just developed over time that of course they need to be addressed. So this is not um it, it, you know, but just, you know, I thought if this is this is so painful and difficult for me and for my children how much more so wow. um, for those who don't have that background. So, wow. Yes.
1: wow. I mean, that's just amazing. I could feel your passion. I can feel actually, actually, I could still feel your pain, honestly. Like I can mm-hmm. just literally sense it and, and your desire that nobody else would go through that. Like nobody else would actually have to, you know, experience what you experienced and that kids can find, you know, the wins, really, the wins, the little wins here and there that do build a lot of confidence that do take, you know, a child from a place of like, well, I can't do this to like, well, I did this, so I I could probably do this again. And I can do this again. And every time you keep saying, I did it again, I did it again, I I did this, I did this, they're going to get to a place where they they will inherently believe whatever they put their mind to, they're going to be able to do. And that's, and that's really awesome. Because I do believe that, unfortunately, the thought of what what intelligence is, it still stems with the very common things, right, like science, math and reading, right, science, math, English, or, mm-hmm. you know, and even if, if you know a lot of dates in history, you're still not looked at as a genius in history, you know what I mean, but, you know, genius comes out of, oh, you're a scientist, like, I mean, a person could have been had like a C average and they said they are a scientist everyone believes that they're like a genius. And you're like, no, (laughs) it's not true. Right, right, right. Unfortunately, it's partially um, like, I guess, like stereotype because there could be like geniuses in like sports like that Mm -hmm. takes a lot. Like there's a lot of physics that goes up there and a lot of goes on within, you know, sports. So I love the fact that you're really focusing in on this and you have such a clear understanding and such a passion for it. Now, do you have you have a curriculum with lessons and everything that you that you
2: offer? I don't provide a curriculum, but I do have resources that I draw from, strategies that I've used and modified um it, to meet you know or or created um, accommodations through yeah. to really meet differing needs. Um, and 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 I'll say from our personal experience, the proof is in the pudding. Yes. You know, my older son, he went, I mean, actually just, we were just contacted through our our uh, teacher of record and she wanted to have him be interviewed um, for an initiative for gifted and advanced students. However, this is a situation where, you know, when we entered into this and, and at the time we were attending a school that they loved him, they knew he was Beautifully and wonderfully made, and they they saw his strengths and could see his potential, but yet in a classroom box in a middle school with that many students, no matter it can just be so hard for that type of student to fall through the cracks. And I'm talking, we we have a student that you know he's going to study hall and creating his business cards for his Instagram account because he's starting a business, and yet there's a reason why we're in study hall and it wasn't for that. And I tell you, I got this note. I will never forget. I, I had to, I had to just, just, I had to take a moment because I had such a hard time keeping a straight face to me. Yes. He needed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. I had to address that at the same time that I honored his strengths and I had to, I had to take a moment because to be honest in my heart of hearts, I found it quite delightful and and (laughs) hilarious, but I also knew that there was another lesson there. Okay. So, but you know, this is a child that during his time, he, he started, he was selling, had an eBay store. We were the overseers, but he was the curator and he was, um, you know, learned to package things and he raised money to my husband's family is in Norway and he raised money to go to Norway for, for his spring break, you know, and that's their, their big last hurrah of the year for ski season. So he wanted to go see and he raised the money for that. He raised his money for his ski pass. He raised the money through his eBay business. And there were so many lessons that he learned through that, you know, you know, missteps even, even the missteps, they were just opportunities. Sure. Um, you know, but this is a child that when we started, he really needed to, as far as executive functioning skills, he really needed the accompaniment and the modeling and I remember feeling like I was a little worried and I had people actually share their concern well isn't that just going to be like hand-holding I mean you're just going to be kind of enabling him and I would get this little you know feeling of self doubt like what if I'm not what if he's not you know as parents we want our children to be healthy happy well-adjusted productive human beings and of course that's the goal so I would worry and I, and, and, and by the second, at the, t- actually it didn't even take till the second year, but by the end of the first year, he was just so much more capable. Those, the, that scaffolding has started to build to the point where now he's taking the initiative to work ahead, to be a self-starter. He's turning in his assignments on his own with me, ha- without me having to model for him or remind him even. This is what I talk about with the rungs on the ladder. That's but it didn't start out that way. And it right. was a very it was it was scary. Did I know that it wasn't developmentally where he should be? Absolutely. Did I believe that he had the potential and that it was my role to help him fulfill, you know, to to find that path? Absolutely. So you know, one of the 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 funnest things for me and and actually for my mother heart is that through this experience, I think when we entered this, he he always loved um design and drawing and he had this interest and in, he would design tennis shoes and and he started to be interested in architecture. He really loves Frank Lloyd Wright. That's his favorite architect. And and then he found out there's a, a college, um Frank Lloyd Wright University. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, and so he got really excited. For sure. So, you know, when we first started this, I really think he, though, in his heart. He didn't believe he could do what it took to get him there. Yeah. And now we have a child who knows that's the direction he wants to go. And I'm completely capable to get myself there. I might have to have accommodations. And, And this is the other thing. This is also very, very important for parents to know. If you have a child that has a learning disability and you have the documentation for that, the college's we took uh, community college courses last year. He took community college courses as a ninth grader. Um, and my younger son took community college courses as an eighth grader. Um, very neat experience. And they have a disability services department that he was, he he didn't, he chose not to use this accommodation, but he was allowed to even have dictation services. If he needed notes, this was possible for him to get, he would be allowed to have additional time, like time tests. It was just depending on whatever equalized that access, you know, for him based upon those, those challenges. And, and so that is available in our college and university system, these disability services. So we are not doing our children a disservice when we teach them to accommodate for themselves, we're teaching them because I, you know, I touched on this earlier. A lot of us have just learned how to, you know, cope, cope. Yeah. And, and and that's okay. And it's great. My coping method was, you know, by age 10, I was using post-it notes to, to write down all the thoughts at bedtime. So, and stick them to my lampshade so that I could get to sleep I had to capture those thoughts. So I was learning these strategies. That's cool. And I still love post-it notes. They still are my friend. You know, (laughs) they still help me capture my thoughts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, the thing is, is that these services and when, when they go into, especially with the technology that we have, having a student dictate their work is not setting them up for failure. Because dictation is such a part of our world now anyway. And there's parents oh, yeah. that are like, you have to teach them how to, you have to, well, yes, and maybe no, you know, if it's going to actually be such a hindrance to their success and their uh, potential, what what's the bigger picture? Right, right. So as we're wrapping this up,
1: what's the call to action? Where can they find you? Where can they get these services? Because you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of, I mean, just wisdom and understanding in this
2: whole entire area, where can they connect with you? I have a website, www.deannawestat.com. So it's my name. Yeah. And I'll then, put it in the show notes for sure. Perfect. And then, um, I have, um, Facebook, my Facebook page is actually Dr. Homeschooling Mama. Oh, um, I because I feel that just kind of sums it up. You know, my, my path was definitely changed through the homeschooling experience. And so that's what I call myself on Facebook. Um, And then, of course, on my website, there is a, you can, there's a place where you can sign up for a 20 minute free consult, which the purpose of is, is to kind of give me an overview, what you're looking for, talk about what services I offer. Am I a good fit um, for your, for your family? Am I going to be able to give you some value for your family and what you're looking for. And so that and then, you know, occasionally I have a blog, too, where I write about um, different things, uh, ADHD, uh, twice exceptionality, homeschooling, uh, different uh, elements about homeschooling as well.
1: Awesome. Oh, wow. You have you have a lot of I'll put all those things in the show notes. So what is one huge takeaway you would want parents to walk away from this conversation with today?
2: If you're considering homeschooling or you're knee deep in it, wherever you're at in the process, it's a journey. And I I think that is a very overused term. But hear me out, because I think that the point is, is that it's a step at a time. And I look back over my journey and even before we came to homeschooling. And sometimes I've been sad that we didn't get to that point sooner. And then I realized I believe that every, you know, I'm just going to say, and 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 I'm a faith-based person. So I really do believe that we are where we're meant to be and things work together for good for those who are in, in Christ Jesus. That's, that's my faith base. But I do Mine believe too. that we're on the <laughs> point in our journey. Where we're meant to be, and so in in that case, you know, I look at I we came to that point when we were meant to, and I look at the the, the past path, and sometimes I marvel at the, the individual steps it took, but it was always just one foot one foot in front of the other. What's the next thing I need to do? What's the next thing I I need to do? Okay, I'm going to do that. What's the next thing? And and if it meant telling my story to. 10 people to see if they have the service that could help me so be it you know but not to not to give up right not to stop advocating for your child yeah um and just to take it one step one day at a time and and give yourself grace Awesome. Do what it takes. Yeah. Deanna, it was awesome. Dr.
1: Diana, sorry. <laughs> it was oh, great having you on today. You just really poured in you poured into me and just giving me so much like to think about. So I just thank you for all of your wisdom for taking the time and you know doing doing the work. You you put you put in the miles, and that's why you're able to speak into all of us. Thank you so much for coming on today.
2: You're welcome and thank you for having
1: me on.